Hello everybody, I'm Sean and welcome back to the Croc Time Podcast, delivering weekly updates on markets and geopolitics, providing you with valuable insights and unique perspectives on events and trends shaping the world. Today, we're going to be talking about Guinea. After a brief overview of the country's history, we're going to talk about its large reserves of natural resources and its emerging role as a global iron ore producer. At the end, we will talk about its geopolitical implications and provide a quick trading idea to take advantage of the situation. Ready? Great, so let's cut to the chase. Let's start by first going over the country's recent history. The Republic of Guinea is a coastal country in Western Africa. A former French colony, it achieved independence in 1958. Its first leader was Ahmed Seko Toure, who ruled unopposed until 1984. Under his authoritarian rule, thousands were killed and many more fled. He was famous for putting people in Camp Boiro, a concentration camp within the capital city of Conakry. In 1984, a coup followed his death and Lansana Conte took power. While he did bring the country towards a multi-party system, he still ruled ruthlessly and unopposed. Bloody civil wars in neighboring Sierra Leone and Liberia spilled over into the country, leading to significant violence in the first few years of the 21st century. Like his predecessor, he ruled until his death in 2008. The same exact situation then repeated itself. A coup followed Conte's death, and Moussa Dadis Kamara seized power. The country's people, tired of authoritarian rulers who had brought neither prosperity nor security in 50 years, protested heavily. The regime's terrible repression of its citizens led to the shooting of the dictator who went to Morocco for medical care. A group of neighboring countries and the return of exiled political leaders led to the country's first democratic elections in 2010, where Alpha Conde was elected. He is not to be confused with Lansana Conte, of course. However, the new president, Conde, was just like everybody else beforehand. Promises were broken, election fraud became common, and opposition leaders were forced to flee or imprisoned. In 2014, Guinea became the first country in the world to report the outbreak of the Ebola virus disease, leading to thousands of deaths in the country. Violent political protests became common throughout the years. In 2013, hundreds died in the capital city. A more violent wave erupted between 2019 and 2020 because of Conde's constitutional changes to get rid of the presidential term limit. Of course, he then easily won the 2020 elections. However, in September 2021, the military stepped in and Colonel Mamadi Domboya seized control of state television and declared the end of Alpha Conde's government. The country was suspended from ECOWAS, the West African Economic Community, and was isolated diplomatically just like Mali, Burkina Faso, and now Niger. Like many other African countries, Guinea has had a very troubled history of instability, authoritarianism, war, ethnic conflicts, corruption, and abuse. 
Its people continue to suffer greatly, and Guinea is one of the world's poorest countries. Despite that, Guinea, with only 14 million people and about 80% of the size of Italy, is really important internationally. And the reason is related to commodities and natural resources. While most of Guinea's population is agrarian, the country's mineral production represents its biggest exports. It is the world's second largest producer of bauxite, after Australia, with the biggest known reserves. Bauxite has a high aluminium content and is the main source of, you guessed it, aluminium, but also gallium. The latter is used in electronics, especially in circuits, but also in lasers and jewelry. The country also has significant diamond, gold and uranium deposits. Guinea also enjoys large reserves of iron ore with a high potential for extraction. In fact, its high-grade iron ore reserves amount to more than 4 billion tons and are still largely untapped. In the last decade, international investors have been keenly interested in getting a hold of the country's precious iron ore. In 2013, Anglo-Australian mining giant Rio Tinto got into the Simando mine project in Guinea's southern region. The Mount Nimba mine and Kalia mine were also started in the same period. Simandu is considered to be the world's largest high-grade iron ore deposit. Rio Tinto is planning on spending $6.2 billion on the project, which is expected to add 5% to global iron ore supply. China's Chalco Iron Ore Holding and the government of Guinea also hold minority interests in the Simandu project. In recent months, Rio Tinto has announced that iron ore production will begin in 2025, earlier than initially expected. In fact, the company has had to face lengthy negotiations with the Guinean government, which in 2021 changed hands dramatically following the military coup. Difficulties around construction and legal challenges have also delayed the start of the project. Annual capacity of Simandu is expected to equal 60 million tons per year. The project is expected to weigh heavily on global iron ore prices. In fact, the iron ore market is expected to turn into surplus once the project goes online. The second phase of the project could add a further 50 million tons per year to the country's iron ore production capacity. Along with the mine, Rio Tinto and Chalco Iron Ore Holding are building an airport, a deep water port and railway system. This is expected to benefit other miners with improved infrastructure. While political instability and other countless challenges remain, the country is looking to become much more mining friendly than other jurisdictions. Let's now look into the geopolitical implications of Guinea's emergence on the global iron ore market. Given the international isolation of Guinea's government following the coup, it has been forced to find friends elsewhere. China has been very happy to invest in Guinean projects, given that they are the world's main importer of iron ore, accounting for around 70% of global imports. Most of Guinean iron ore will likely be exported to China once operations begin. 
China's iron ore imports will shift away from its two traditional customers, Australia and Brazil. Australia accounts for 65% of China's iron ore imports, while Brazil accounts for 20%. Brazil's iron ore giant, Bale, supplies more than 80% of the country's iron ore to China. However, it is very likely that Guinea will not lead to any decline in iron ore trade between Brazil and China. Trade between the two countries is booming and there are no political tensions, unlike with Australia. In fact, political tensions between Australia and China have led to a trade war in recent years. The situation has improved now because Anthony Albanese, Australia's Prime Minister, recently visited China. But Australia's close relationship with America means that this is only a pause in a bigger and longer-term downward spiral in their relationship. Given Australia's importance for China's iron ore, it is very likely that a rise in Guinea's iron ore supply will prompt Chinese importers to substitute some Australian production for Guinea's. Although the distance to get this iron ore is much longer and will likely cost more, China has a very keen interest in diversifying sources of imports. This changing trade pattern will also have profound market impacts for shipping. Let's explore this a bit better and come up with a company that will benefit from this. Iron ore is shipped in dry bulk vessels, a type of ship designed to transport large quantities of commodities. Based on the trip, there can be additional types of vessels. Just to name a few, a dry bulk vessel can be a Suez Max if it travels through the Suez Canal or a Panamax that goes through the Panama Canal. To complete a round trip from Guinea to China, the cape-sized vessels, named after the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, would be the most suitable type of vessel. If we assume that most Guinean iron ore will be shipped to China, we can expect to see increased demand for cape-sized dry bulk vessels. This would push up day rates for these ships and the longer distance would benefit shippers. Given the low order books of most shippers, meaning that not enough ships are now being built, an imbalance in supply and demand for cape sizes is a very likely outcome. The Norwegian dry bulk company Golden Ocean Group is the largest listed owner of cape-sized vessels in the entire world. The company's young and fuel-efficient fleet of vessels with low break-even rates and strong iron ore demand from China make Golden Ocean Group a compelling buy as day rates improve while supply and demand imbalances continue in the industry. We've gone over a lot here. But as you can see, this single project in the Guinean forest can have big global consequences. While Guinea's rich minerals will certainly support development in far-off countries, Guinea's population will unfortunately continue to suffer, as the mine's benefits will likely only go to a few people. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Crock Time. Please leave a review and follow me wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll be back next time with more insightful research.